The sports world has been greening itself for most of the century, but despite these efforts, most fans have no idea. That changes now. Welcome to Green Sports Pod. Hosted by Lou Blaustein, Green Sports Pod highlights the successes, challenges, and opportunities to green the games we love to watch and play, and give you the chance to hear from the athletes who are taking positive environmental actions. Learn more and subscribe to the show today at greensportsblog.com. Hi there, I'm Lou Blaustein, and welcome to episode 24 of Green Sports Pod. I was thrilled when today's guests, Team GB field hockey teammates and eco-athletes champions Fiona, better known as Fee Burnett, and Tess Howard agreed to be interviewed for the pod. Sometimes these great friends are competitors because Fee also plays for Team Scotland and Tess for Team England in competitions like the Commonwealth Games where the United Kingdom is split up into its component states. But no matter whether they are playing with each other or are on opposite teams, they are both leaders on the hockey pitch. Fee and Tess are also on the front foot when it comes to the climate comeback, working together to help green Team GB hockey and thus make it a positive example for the rest of the green sports world. And so, welcome Fee Burnett and Tess Howard to Green Sports Pod. Fee, we'll start with you. Thanks for having me, Lou. Really great to be here, especially to be talking alongside my teammate Tess. Yeah, so a little bit about my background. So I grew up on the west coast of Scotland. Very fortunate to grow up there, sort of surrounded by the mountains and the sea. So I think from that point of view, sort of from the get-go, was taught to sort of look after the beautiful environment that was surrounded by, spent so much time outdoors growing up. So I definitely think that from a very young age was sort of imprinted in my mind that we were lucky to have what we had and sort of need to do everything that we can to protect it. And certainly growing up, became more aware of climate change and everything that was going on at university. I studied politics and international relations and really enjoyed looking into sustainability as part of a few modules at university as well. So again, that really made me start to think about things along with doing a placement for an environmental NGO in my third year. So those are sort of quite key reasons as to why I've sort of always been quite environmentally conscious. And then I think taking that forwards into, so now as a day job, as well as playing hockey, I work in the UK parliament and international relations. And a lot of my role revolves around sort of how parliamentarians can push for climate action and make sure they are sort of up to date and educated on everything that's going on. So that's certainly one aspect of my job, which has meant that I've been able to focus a lot on that area. And it was only really through going to COP26 in Glasgow, which I happened to be at for work, but ended up going along well, sort of stumbled across the sports climate events, which I was told about by a friend, went along to not really knowing what to expect. I met some amazing athletes who were already very active in this space. And they put me in touch with Lou at Eco Athletes. So it was sort of from there that I realized that there was this whole world of sort of sports and climate and that the two passions that I had in my life could completely merge up and it didn't just have to be focusing on climate change at work or 
focusing on hockey, actually the two could work very well together and that there is a huge role for athletes to play in this space, using our platform to encourage climate action, both within the sport and to like a wider audience as well, as well as having a better understanding of what you personally can do. So yeah, like I say, I sort of stumbled across the sports climate space, but I'm very delighted to be in it now. And I've learned so much since getting involved and want to continue to push action, especially within field hockey. Well, B, as the founder of Eco Athletes, I can only say I'm glad that you stumbled upon it and us. They say luck is the residue of design. So you had to be there at COP26 to find us and we found you. And it's been to green sports benefit that you're a part of what we're doing and look forward to seeing much more. Now we pivot over to Tess, to whom I was introduced by Fee. So a nice little assist between teammates there. And Tess has her own story, of course. I'd love to hear it. And I know it has a little bit to do with poetry. Seeing that one up again, Lee. <laughs> I'm knocking it back down. No, it's, it's wonderful to be here. Thanks for having me. And yeah, Firstly, thanks to Fee for introducing me to eco-athletes. It was actually a walk in the middle of the countryside. Um, I remember my, we were walking, at, we, had a, we had a team trip away. It was the first time GB had been together for a couple of years and Fee was new to the team. I, I'd been in the team for about four years. No one really was seeing eye to eye with me on these issues. And our teammate Giselle said, you know, you should have a chat with Fee. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll have a chat with her. And we went for this walk and suddenly I was like, whoa. There's so much we can talk about. There's another person out there yeah. <laughs> who's like this, who's into methane capture. Yeah. Uh, it was a match made in heaven and on the hockey pitch as well. But my climate consciousness story starts probably with, with my mum, my who her whole career has worked in conservation. She was one of the first people in, in South Africa to think about waste management, and she created a company from scratch to help in Durban's waste management. And then she moved into business and biodiversity and did big projects to help reduce the impact of mining and get us to a place of being nature positive. And so my whole childhood was talks around the dinner table about the planet and what was going on. And given my both my parents were South African, we, we went back to Southern Africa a lot. And you could see what climate change was doing to Namibia, to the savannah in South Africa, to Zambia's rivers. And my mum and dad were very active in telling me what was going on. So very early on, I had a very acute awareness to climate change. And then at school, I was studying geography. And you know, start to become more confident in understanding issues and finding my voice. And I saw that we didn't have recycling bins in our classrooms. And I thought, this is outrageous. That's the, one of the first things you can do is recycle. So I went to my head teacher and I said, look, we need to put recycling bins in. And he said, well, it's not the job of the cleaning staff to separate waste. And I said, okay. So I got together 10 friends who we wish they weren't my friends afterwards and every Friday lunchtime we went and collected all the paper and all the bins and then we created the green team which is now still is still running at my school and I kind of you know it was uncool to start with and now it's like it's where you want to be you want to be in the green team you want that badge at the time you did not want that badge so I've really seen how sustainability is like morphed into you know something that's quite trendy now but back then it definitely wasn't picking up 
paper. I very naturally went into a geography degree at Durham University, which I studied alongside being part of the, the GB program. And there I just really understood more around the literature side and the philosophy of climate change and followed my mum's footsteps studying deep sea mining, this huge project that she was working on to basically create a moratorium. And so I was going to university, coming back and having these more intellectually stimulating discussions with my mum at a higher level. And I was able to really engage And that sort of led me to my next, my current degree, which is political sociology, because when I was at university, the two main issues that caught my attention were feminist theory and environmental post-colonial theory and the way that capitalism is ingrained in our environmental struggle as a planet. And the way women have been subjugated as part of environmental degradation, as in apparel industry over centuries. Yeah, it's the method of economic extraction and abuse of power that is ubiquitous across the globe is around domination. And so you dominate the environment, you dominate women. Generally speaking, of course, there are nuances, but generally speaking, it's accumulation by dispossession. I take something from the earth or take something from a society. Anyway, so sport and feminism merged really well, but sport and environmentalism didn't really merge well at all in the literature in my studies. And so I naturally didn't really think that much around sport and the way that it was having environmental impact because that just wasn't, wasn't really brought to my attention. But I was learning to find my voice in the Women's Sports Trust Unlocked program and understanding that as athletes, we can be activists. And I think probably in 2020, 2021, where the climate crisis was finally coming back into the media and I was having more discussions with my mum and she was like, look, I understand that women shouldn't wear, don't, don't have to wear skorts and hockey, but also can we talk about the climate crisis test, please? And I was like, okay, maybe it's time actually to think about social impact and the role of sustainability in that, because sustainability is three-pronged. It's economic, social, and environmental. And I had forgotten that. So it was really nice to meet Fee and to go back to my original passion as a, as a child and as a student of the environment, sustainability, and the climate. And she's really helped me reinvigorate that side. And now we are an unstoppable force in the GB team with this desire for change. So that's, that's my story. And Fee, how do you remember that first conversation? <laughs> yeah, you know what? I was actually, I was so new into the squad and it was our first sort of away days for this half of the season. And I hadn't really had all that much interaction with Tess because she'd been unfortunately rehabbing. So she, we hadn't been on the pitch really together. So we didn't know each other all that well. And then at these away days, we finally had the opportunity to speak and Tess came up to me and she was like, oh, I want to talk about want to talk about what you're doing and the like climate action and stuff. And we got into this discussion and it was so amazing to hear her speak so passionately. And like what she was saying, she was so relieved to finally have someone to talk to about it. And I was like, oh, well, this is perfect. I didn't think that other people would necessarily be that interested in, in this sort of thing. And as a new person in the squad, it's not necessarily something you feel comfortable pushing when you're still sort of establishing yourself. So me and Tess have kind of partnered up on this, um, which has really, I think, given us both confidence to speak to teammates a lot more. And, and then we've discovered that loads of our teammates are fully, well, actually the majority of them are fully on board with everything that we're trying to achieve. And actually they also want the team as a whole and hockey as a whole to become 
a more sustainable and climate conscious sport. And I think it sort of ignited a passion within a lot of people. So yeah, it's, ever since that first talk, I think it's actually been great because we've been able to to really move forward with things and get more and more people involved and like sort of bring this, them on this journey with us. And so what does that look like? What are you guys and your teammates who are engaged on this? What kind of things are you doing to move it forward? So one of the main things that we're doing is we've established within our squad, we've got a social impact group. And this isn't just about climate action. It's also to do with giving back and making the sport more inclusive. So there's sort of these three elements to it. And we've got people from different parts of our squad who all have different passions and we all meet together and we've all got this action plan for how we want to move forwards in our separate areas. But also we're finding that there's actually loads of ways that they overlap as well. Just to sort of give you an example with hockey, with all our players, everyone has a whole load of kit, which just due to the nature of it, we get new kit fairly regularly just because we're using it so much, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it can't be used by others. So another aspect of our group is also trying to make the sport more inclusive. That includes sort of engaging more state school pupils as well. So one way in which these two areas overlap in terms of sort of a circular economy and also promoting diversity within our sport is that there's a well, a real push to get more state school involvement and in an upcoming tournament that they're holding, which is just for state school pupils, we're going to do a big kit collection of old kit and pass this on to some of the pupils which are going to be involved in this tournament. So that's just one way in which the two of the areas have been able to merge. And just for the Americans listening, when you say state schools, what does that mean specifically? Sorry for the Sorry, I didn't even think about that. Sorry for the being ignorant on this side of the pond kind of thing. Yeah, I'm trying to think, yeah so non-private schools, just Got like it. Lo- local like, high like schools. Pu- we would call them public schools here. Yeah, in the UK. FYI. The, <laughs> in the UK, only 7% of our schools are private fee-paying schools. Yet in the hockey world, it's about 40%, 50% of current players come from private schools. And in some, in our under 18 current team, it's over 90% are from private schools. So it's getting worse. So the inequality for your education is really big at the moment. So what we're trying to do is bridge the gap between the non-fee paying state schools, which have less resources, which don't have astroturfs on their doorstep like private schools. They don't have the the funding for professional coaches, ex-international coaches. So we're really trying to see what we could do as a as a senior team to offset the inequality there. And then when you started bringing this up, and I'm going to just focus on the environment climate side of it, but obviously also the more inclusive aspects as well. It sounds like that when you brought this up to the team, they were largely supportive. Was that surprising? And how has their interest grown since then? So the team originally, when we created the social impact group, I think Fee and I thought that it would be a social impact group and then an environment group separate. But what we found is when we had this first social impact meeting, a lot of the people in this group of six actually also were really passionate about the environment. So it made sense to put climate as one of the 
prongs, one of the three prongs into our social impact group. So we have inspire the future, equality in our sport and climate conscious team as our three areas of interest. And by putting it into the group, something very subtle by making it a team aspect, a team value, it's actually given us so much more like rigor to go at it. And then you have other people. So it's not just Fee and I thinking of ideas and making things happen. It's different people in the group taking on different aspects. And that's what's really powerful is when you have someone who didn't think they had a voice be the one to speak up in a meeting about, you know, be given the agency to speak. And that's what I love to see with our group is that through sort of delegation and sharing load, we've been able to raise everybody's confidence in these issues. And the team originally, I was also quite, I was quite nervous to understand if they really wanted to put energy into this. And as soon as we said, we had a solution, like not a solution, obviously to everything, but we had one small action point which for example is this BYOC bring your own cup which Fee loves because it's got it's got consequences to it if you don't bring your own cup the consequences are the consequences are of fines if you don't bring your own cup because there's no excuse not to do it because yeah it's so you've so got sad. a kangaroo court going on basically. we do <laughs> so BYOC bring your own coffee cup and we said it to the group and they unanimously agreed. And it helps to have someone like Fee be like, no, you guys, there's no, there's, there's just a hard line here. And then it, the thing is, is with our team is once you say something and we embed it into our values, we're very, very good at embodying that. So people are taking photos of people with coffee cups. <laughs> like it's become this massive <laughs> like surveillance system. <laughs> So where do you take it from here then? Because that sounds like a really good start. And is there a way to say this has also helped overall team cohesion somewhat beyond the social impact group and the climate pillar that it could actually help you guys bond more on the pitch? Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah, like Tess was sort of alluding to, as a team, we've got very strong sort of core values and because this sort of climate consciousness is now starting to become embedded as one of those values, we're all very good at being accountable and trying to take responsibility in the areas that are values that we really try to live to them. And I think because you're sort of all united by these values, then it definitely does play a part of bringing people a bit closer together. Certainly that's how I've viewed it. And how have the coaching staff, how has management reacted if at all what did they think of all this so england hockey which so england hockey are the designated organization for gb hockey just to not to make it confusing but just so i talk about england hockey it means gb hockey they have had a really strong push for sustainability awareness over the last few months and i had a, a meeting with our chief financial officer early last year to ask what was going on with sustainability. And it's taken several months to get something together, but they have now created a sustainability working group, which they invited me onto as, a, as an England player to sort of, I don't know, hold them accountable or just see what's going on and to get the player insight of what we want. And I, I was at the working group last week and I was actually really impressed with what they had said that they their their ambition 
and some of the actions that they're taking already. Because we have to put it in context. Hockey is not a sustainable sport. You know, it's played on plastic grass. It requires water-based pitches. It requires a lot of equipment. But it does have, it has people who want to change the sport to make it more sustainable. So there's definitely a route to get there. So the first thing England hockey have tried to do is just educate themselves. And really excitingly, they have joined a new project to be the one of the first sports to get a full carbon footprint done and then to have a decarbonization action plan, which should all happen around May time. And you think things move slow, but they are moving. And you have really inspiring new leadership in England hockey, GB hockey, who want to put sustainability at the heart of our our new partnerships with sponsorships. So for example, if we were to have new kits, then it would be around what are they doing in relation to our values. They're putting sustainability back in the center of their corporate values as well, which is really exciting. With the sponsorships, obviously sponsorships means they're connecting to fans because that's why they're sponsoring you guys so that they can reach fans. How are you guys as a team in the social impact group thinking about, or maybe already acting on communicating this to your fans in particular on the climate? I think we're very much still at the start of this journey, certainly like as a team as a whole. So one of the big things for us is Tess and I have been very fortunate to have a fair bit of climate change education already. So for us, we feel comfortable to sort of speak out on this topic. But for a lot of our teammates, they would absolutely love to speak out on this topic, but they don't necessarily know the best way to go about it. So I think one of the main next steps for us is to ensure that we get this education or have this conversation, which is already beginning within our team as a wider team, so that others then feel comfortable to speak up as well. And then that way, we've got such a large squad. We've got a squad of over 30 players. And you think about the outreach that that could have, all the people that these players know, as well as social, when you factor in social media as well, and the outreach that we can have through that. And then, yeah, as a squad as a whole, using our sort of squad platform. So I think, yeah, that's a really key next step for us is to ensure that everyone gets to a place where they, if they feel comfortable to, they can speak out and they know the best way to do so. And through that, I think we will have a lot more sort of fan engagement and we can reach a really wide audience, which is really exciting in itself. I mean, I think you guys could do just knowing the two of you, and I'm assuming that the others in your group are like-minded. I think you guys could have a lot of impact with a cool social media campaign and potentially find a sponsor who also is like-minded. Yeah, I think, Lou, it's really about us trying to get our fans and the hockey family, hockey community along the journey with us because we are starting from scratch, if we're brutally honest with where hockey is at the moment. And it's not about saying, oh, look, we've suddenly don't use coffee cups and now we are the world authority on sustainability in hockey. It's not about that. It's saying we've decided that we're going to start small, which will eventually become big and we'll gain confidence and we'll gain momentum. And you can join the momentum. You can join the journey. You know, Fee's bringing us all on this journey. She's bringing me on the journey. You're, Lou, you're bringing us on the journey. And it's we're all getting 
we're getting there. That's what excites me about the potential for partnerships and sponsorships with like-minded brands because it gives England Hockey, GB Hockey, the route into these important conversations and can become a leader in hockey. And I think also that hockey doesn't have the profile in England, let's say, of the, I don't know, the Premier League, which, okay, they had their green football weekend this past weekend. They're doing some really cool things. However, they also have Ineos is looking to buy Manchester United, allegedly. You know, there are some serious greenwashing issues, either overtly or covertly, that they're dealing with. And and it's so high profile. I'm wondering that, and I'll frame this as a question, how is it to be in kind of a more nimble, smaller sport where you can be brought into a working group? And how do you take advantage of that? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously, it's great to, because we are a smaller sport, we probably have closer relations with leadership and executive bodies like I can easily speak to Scottish hockey Tess can easily speak to England hockey we're both very much like where we train out in Bisham is the headquarters of England and GB hockey so we're constantly passing sort of leadership and we can pick up these conversations at any time whereas I think for some of the bigger sports there is a lot more separation between players and and leadership and their sort of I don't know if it's on purpose, but they're kept out of these conversations. Whereas for us, we can use this to our advantage. And it's certainly something that we're starting to do. I mean, Tess has obviously touched on her relationship in the sustainability group with England Hockey, which is amazing. And yeah, there's so much that can be achieved just through that. And I'm picking up conversations, trying to keep track of what's going on in Scotland at the same time. So yeah, it's something that we can take advantage of because we might not have the same platform and funding as major sports like football or rugby but we still in our own way can reach a really wide audience and there's so many people that play hockey so yeah we can definitely take advantage of that i also think that now is a time where women's sports the exposure of the fan engagement the number of fans following them this is a time right and Women are more environmentally minded than their Y chromosome counterparts. They're more apt to be concerned or alarmed about climate. And so I think that that also is in your favor. And I actually think that, especially because you got your sports gets really popular around the Commonwealth Games, around the Olympic Games, and then you're huge. And you can really ride those waves and like heading into Paris 2024, which I know, you you know, the first thing is you got to qualify as a team. That's the first thing. What are your thoughts about bringing this pro-social, pro-environment, pro-climate message to that platform, to that global stage? It's exciting. Last Olympics and in Tokyo, we made a stand as a team to support the LGBTQ plus community by Holly wearing the captain's armband. And it was a really good statement for us as a team. We also took the knee in recognition of 2020 and and the Black Lives Matter protests following George Floyd's death. So we are no stranger to making statements at Olympic Games. And I think that's a really important thing is like now is the time for us to 
look at climate change, look ourselves as a, as a team and think, what can we do when we, when we get to the Olympics? And it's about our actions as well as our statements. And I think that's what the group at the moment is trying to do is lay a platform for the legitimacy of a statement at a, at a world games like the Olympics, because there's no point having empty words. So if we build the confidence in the team that we know we are doing, we are on the right state, we're on the right path to becoming more sustainable as a sport, then I think we have a real opportunity to take the Eurostar to Paris, firstly. Amen. To take the Metro Not like not the Forest <laughs> taking a 30-minute flight to play, I forget, Wolves or something like that. What, the, what was that? Yeah, well. Not this team. It's yeah, it starts with our actions. And I think watch this space because if you have passionate people in a team, they will make things happen for sure. Now, have you gotten either of you? You can both take this question. Has there been any pushback, you know, where you're getting negative tweet, nasty tweets or what we say here, you know, famously right wing talk show host once told LeBron James basically to stay out of politics. And she said, shut up and dribble. You may have heard of that. LeBron didn't take to that very well. Have you guys gotten any such pushback? And if so, how do you handle it? I'd say being pretty fortunate in terms of the vast majority of people that I've spoken to are sort of already semi-climate conscious and that they're willing to take the next steps. However, I'd say the only time that I've sort of had a slight bit of pushback was so I was very fortunate to be one of the sustainability captains for Team Scotland at the Commonwealth Games this summer, just been. And we've got to recognise that it was huge for a Commonwealth Games to sort of take sustainability as a whole and to really push that. And for a major competition, which spans across multiple countries and also across multiple sports, it was really unique and, and also brave for them to completely take that and to say, this is what we're trying to achieve. This is what we stand for. But at the same time, we need to recognize that this was very much the baseline. This was the first time that it's been done. So yeah, I'd say there were areas that the Commonwealth Games, they could have done some things differently to make themselves more sustainable in terms of what they set out to achieve. And there were times when I had teammates say to me, oh, you're meant to be pushing this. You're a co-captain for Team Team Scotland. You're a sustainability captain. But this is happening. And actually, I didn't take that as negative. I was No, that's like, positive. That's means, like they uh, want, they want people, you to go faster. Yeah, this is, this is amazing because... That's great. Teammates or people from other sports who wouldn't have thought about it before are now starting to pick up on things and say, oh, that's that's not right. We don't want it. we don't want this to be happening, or they should be doing this better. They could do this better. And it sort of, I guess it added value to to being a, a captain and being a bit of a focal point because it made people think this is what they're trying to achieve. And if they're not achieving it, then we need to hold them accountable to it. So yeah, I'd say actually that ended up being, even though it was negative feedback it actually ended up being very constructive and it showed that people were more engaged in the subject which is exactly what we set out to achieve amen amen so one more thing this is being recorded uh, at the beginning of february and 
there was an interesting story that I saw come across from the world of British sports, not hockey. This is the case of a young cross-country runner. Her name is Innes Fitzgerald. I'm not sure you're aware of her. She is one of the top middle long-distance runners in the UK and maybe even beyond. She's 16. And she recently decided and announced she was not going to go to compete in the World Cross-Country Championships in Australia because of the carbon emissions that would be involved in going to and fro. And my question to you both is, what are your thoughts of that? And how do you react as an athlete? What do you think of what she's doing? And, you know, is that either putting more pressure on more athletes to do the same or just your overall thoughts? Firstly, it's incredible that she has done that step and that it's had the amount of media attention it has for rightly so. It's extremely brave to do that for your sport when your sporting career is on the line. And and I think that is where athletes who are aware of the climate crisis and passionate about it find the biggest difficulty because you are essentially weighing up two passions. How do you reconcile that in your body? We have a very similar trip. We are currently as you know, be completely transparent as a GB team, we're going to New Zealand to play New Zealand and Australia in April. And we have to grapple with the fact that that is a huge amount of carbon emission for 30 people going on that plane. And if you don't go on that trip, then you're missing out on the team performance, team matches. And your career is like that. Your career is... Yeah. With the Europeans this summer, with the Olympics next year, we have to be really honest in these conversations and say it's really hard to make those decisions. And as a team sport, you know, it's very difficult for one individual to to make a decision like that because it's performance and selection and it's your Olympic dream. It's it's a lot of things going on there. So I think firstly, we have to just say that's incredibly brave for a cross-country runner to do that. And off the back of how important this this crisis is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's inspiring. As a team, we are looking into ways that we can mitigate our impact. And of course, it's, you know, carbon offsetting is very difficult to understand and you can never replace the carbon that gets put out into the atmosphere. So we have to really think more efficiently around the trips that we're taking. Fortunately, the pro league structure of international hockey has changed to accommodate the fact that teams should not be flying here, there and everywhere for one match. So we've created new mini tournaments around the world that really reduce the carbon impact. And that's part of the FIH, the Federation of International Hockey's new sustainability plan. So it's something that we have to look at. And in the future, I think you could see hockey moving to very much a more local sort of European tournament-based or or area-based tournaments throughout the year, and then major tournaments once a year where where people go to. We saw this actually here in the United States. COVID was a great foreshadowing of all of this, right? Because COVID changed everything for a time. So remember in 2020, in the early days, travel was considered very dangerous and stopped for a while, and then it kind of haltingly went back But Major League Baseball 
which is probably the second or third biggest sport in the United States, decided to change the whole structure of the leagues to limit travel. So you wouldn't have games between, say, New York and Los Angeles or Atlanta and Seattle. They changed the whole structure of the leagues. So it was just the East Coast played the East Coast, the Midwest played the Midwest, and the West Coast played the West Coast. And I wrote a piece for Green Sports Blog back then that said, this is like showing what, if we don't get our climate act in order, what Mother Nature is going to force us to do. And we're not there yet, or maybe we are and we don't realize it. My thing about Innes Fitzgerald is that someone asked me, well, is she going to face blowback from other athletes because she's putting pressure on them? I said, no, she's going to face incoming from fans who are going to like basically make her be Greta of sports in a negative light. And so she's going to take a lot of flack. And just from what I've seen of her, I've never spoken to her. She seems like she is well equipped to take it on. So, and the comment about taking Eurostar to the Olympics, much, much a better story than having to fly Australia and New Zealand. The other thing I'll say on this is that I think this is going to make sports and athletes become bigger advocates for a quicker, quicker innovation and adoption of low carbon and zero carbon aviation fuel. And eco athletes is going to be in, involved in that. So before we end this, I understand you guys are uniform number neighbors, 14 and 15, and you're leading this push on climate on Team GB. But then when Fee is on Scotland and Tess is on England and we play against each other, what's that like? And I'll just let you guys take that one. (laughs) It's funny you say that because... Scotland and England don't get the opportunity to play each other all that often. However, this summer at the Europeans, we are in the same pool. So it's guaranteed that we will be playing each other. I'm not sure what game it is, whether it's number one, number two or number three. But one of our very first games at the Europeans, we will no longer be teammates for a very short period of time and we will be trying to beat each other. But I'm sure it will all be done very amicably. Although at the time it's going to be very competitive, I'm sure. Luckily, because we both play up front as attackers, we're not going to be going directly head to head very much. <laughs> so, wow. Anyway. Yeah, we, we have these issues in club hockey all the time. It gets very feisty. Fee and I play in rival, rival teams. And I mean, yeah, like she says, fortunately, we're not normally near each other. But if if something physical goes on by accident, we just sort of, you know, apologize to each other, high five and move on. It's like we're all friends here. <laughs> it's all good. I got to go to ESPN over here and get this tournament broadcast over here into the States so we can watch this. Absolutely. Yeah. The more fun, better for Scotland. <laughs> and eco-athletes champion on one side, eco-athletes champion on another side, and yet working together as well. I like that story. And I really like the fact that you guys came on. We're so insightful, so open. Tess and Fee, thank you so much for joining us and for the important work you're doing now and then what you are doing into the lead up to the Olympics and other championships to come. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Green Sports Pod and also for reading Green Sports Blog. You can follow us on Twitter at Green Sports Blog and on Instagram at Green Sports Blogger. 
You can listen to back episodes of the pod on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next time on Green Sports Pod. You've been listening to Green Sports Pod, hosted by Lou Blaustein. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And head on over to greensportsblog.com, the source for news and commentary at the intersection of green and sports. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Green Sports Pod.